Front line. Front line. Front line. They're stalking behind comic scenes. Behind the comic scenes. Mark J and Tim. It's the spin-off that has survived. There's no yawning to find the meaning. Is it good? Is it shite? G.I. Joe Frontline on Talking Joe Well, G.I. Joe Frontline on Talking Joe G.I. Joe Frontline on Talking Joe Well, G.I. Joe Frontline on Talking Joe Hey, 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 welcome to Talking Joe We are today, we are talking Frontline And specifically, we are looking back across the sweep of the entire 18 issues with uh, the Golden Joe Awards. We'll be giving out some awards for our highlights and maybe a few lowlights, but we're going to be sweeping through it and joined by a few people to uh, make that all happen. So let's give them a big Talking Joe intro as we do that. First up, it's Tim. I really want to talk Joe with you. It's a real American, Tim. Hello. Hello, viewers and listeners. And hi, Mark. Hello, Tim. Good to have you with us once again. And on standby, underneath your desk, as always, for when the call comes. That's actually Uh, where I am the rest of the week. Excellent. Uh, Who do we have next? Wow, man. It's the Bart man. It's it's our pal Bart joining us from somewhere that looks slightly less like it might be a desert this time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm in my basement in Pittsburgh. Excellent. And uh, so how's things with uh, with you? Uh, pretty good. Uh, literally, what, 10 minutes ago, my Valverse order just showed up. So that's a good day. Um, other than that, I started a new job on Monday. So working through that. Wow. Uh, everything else is pretty much the same. See, now you've given some context because I was going to say you were just showing off your impe- impressive package uh, before we uh, <laughs> before we started. But um, oh, oh, and also you got those uh, Valiverse toys as well in the post, so that was uh, that was good. Yep. <laughs> so yep. without too much further ado, let's uh, see who the next person is waiting to join us. Dude. It's Richard, not Carol Straw. Good evening. Good evening. It's, uh, it's our, our main Devil's Due uh, fan off of the Facebook groups, always uh, in there with some, I'd say, pretty uh, pretty accurate uh, and sensible opinions about uh, about what we're talking about. Uh, so, Mr. J, oh, sorry, Mr. J did tell me to tell you whilst you're why you're all long, so I'm going to do that this time. <laughs> uh, yeah so so we'll just wait for that to happen i don't think it's, it's going to happen so uh and then uh as we go as, as we go along the show uh we might also have some other people joining in with the the fun we shall see but why are we here this is why oscars emmys it's not about them shows this award segment has golden joes 
it's the Golden Joe Awards. So we'll be having a few different categories looking at uh, the run of Frontline with a critical eye as to uh, what we thought about the the books. Um, so as as we've been sort of reading uh, reading in them along and uh, uh, discussing them, uh, Bart uh, um, and uh, not Carol. What, what have been kind of your what's the, been the temperature check for you guys? How have you been feeling about these uh, issues looking back on them 20 years later? Uh, <laughs> when I first read them, I thought they were um, interesting, pretty cool, except for the um, was it Snowbound or whatever that that one was. Uh, I felt it was kind of a rip off of a movie, but it was still kind of cool. <laughs> And I really haven't read them since they came out until like last week, I went back through and, and read them real quick. I mean, they're enjoyable. It, it got better as it went. Um, maybe if they had another 20 or 30 issues, um, they could have come up with something pretty good. Uh, but it, it was just all right. I mean, I didn't and read Richard. these originally. I, I didn't read oh, these really? originally. I read them on sort of dodgy download a few years ago. I'm probably not allowed to say that. Um, <laughs> you know, as as a spin-off goes, it's not special missions, but then I'm not saying special missions because that's the best G.I. Joe comic of the lot. But I'm kind of looking at the hit rate, and I think there's one storyline that's a disaster. But the rest of it, I, I like them. I will defend them. Um, I mean, obviously, I will always defend them. There's one other that I put a comment on today that I don't think is very good. I just like the different feel, and and as yeah. unfortunately, I, I really do like the ice story. Uh, I think that's tremendous, but never mind. So, um, yeah, I've discovered them. I, I, I like the different feel of them. Um, it's not all brilliant. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> all right, let's get on into it. So, first uh, category is best cover. So what have we got for best covers? There was a lot of them. There wasn't just 18 because there was variant covers. So we're looking at almost uh, 25 covers to choose from. And uh, between myself and some of the comments that I got in, this is the short list that we came up with. We've got issue one by uh, Dave Dorman, uh, issue five uh, and, and eight, I think that is, Tony Harris, and issue 11 from uh, Tim, please remind me, it's... Um, Francis Manipal. Francis Manipal. We should, uh, we should give uh, uh, J.D. Mettler credit for coloring five and eight, because he, he really is half mm. of the work there. Yes, that's a very valid point, Tim. Uh, yeah, the, the colors on those, uh, yeah, a massive, uh, massive part of what makes them uh, really pop. Yeah, what do we think of these? I think probably going into this, I would have thought that I would have naturally gravitated towards Dave Dorman, uh, like his his work from the from Star Wars and, and and so on, and was very impressed when um, when he was announced back in the day as the, the the cover artist. But I think out of the lot and and sort of into with today's eyes, I think I'm I would go with uh, the number five from from Tony Harris and, and Met Lacroix, sort of just a very dynamic image and, and sort of just that color palette just i think really works for me um when i was in college i took a, an illustration class with a guy who had painted covers for some comics and a lot of uh, paperback novels and some magic the gathering cards and he talked about like what goes into illustrating the cover of a book and when we read a lot of comics particularly when the covers are more pinups or cool shots, 
Um, I think sometimes we forget uh, what goes into the, the thinking and the work that goes into telling a compelling story with one image and, and drawing the best version of that concept. So issue number five, whatever you think of the story, I think that sort of rises to the top of iconic Devil's Due covers. Emotionally, uh, my favorite may not be on this list. It's probably Dave Dorman's painted cover for, is it issue number three with Snake Eyes Scarlet reflected in Jester's mask? Because that's, it's uh-huh. maybe the first time we'd ever seen that image pulled off that way. It's like we've seen things reflected, or in the case of that panel in uh, issue 21, not reflected in Jester's helmet. And and though I do like Dorman's work on the cover to issue one, I don't think the composition is his strongest. It, it looks like there's room mm-hmm. left over for copy on the sides. So emotionally, uh, it's issue two, thank you. But in terms of like G.I. Joe, uh, Harris and Mettler on on five. But I went for number eight. To me, um, the angle that his head's tilted and the way he's holding that pistol looks pretty realistic. And just the artwork itself looks realistic. So I just I thought that was a pretty cool scene. It's kind of like he's got a guy on the ground, you know, gun to his head kind of thing, giving him the old dirty Harry. <laughs> if I can, if I can say one thing about eight too, um, uh, for a long time at Marvel, there was a rule that uh, can't point guns out at the reader, and uh, it, it's cool to see that with Frontline Eight. Excellent, Richard. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably say this a lot, but due to dithering, I didn't get my nominations in. So my favorite cover is actually eighteen because it's mad, the the roadblock yeah. figure one. But of these nominations, five by a mile. I mean, eight's a very nice picture, a piece of work, but it doesn't really say much about the story, whereas five's just, it's just thoroughly exciting. And I'm sure all the technical stuff about it is correct as well, but since I'm, I'm rubbish with art, it's just how I respond to it. And five is just by a mile, the best cover of that. One of the best covers, full stop. Richard. And got everybody very excited with that helicopter um, on the Facebook group. Um, <laughs> Richard, could you could you spend a moment talking about eighteen, even though it's not here? <laughs> I just like I mean, um, I only just listened to the uh, your podcast for eighteen this morning to kind of catch up, and I just like the the figure image. Um, I like issue eighteen; it's totally utterly mad. Obviously, that's a discussion for another moment, and I just like the idea of the the figure cover. I, you know, you talk about it obviously on the podcast. I can see what the technical things that you say about it. Um, absolutely fair enough but i just think it's it's something that's in keeping with the sheer lunacy of that issue and a bit ahead of its time so i think the star wars comics when marvel took over started doing these i think they did the full picture on the cover rather than the idea of something in context but um yeah. i just respond to things that are stupid basically what i didn't say about this cover in our episode on the issue but i can say now is this is the only G.I. Joe cover where we're in the real world, where mm-hmm. we're, we are looking at, G, at, at the product of G.I. Joe, and that hand is ours. Like, this is a, a POV shot, a point of view shot. So that, that is in keeping with the, the crazy of the issue. Excellent. So I think with uh, three of the four uh, going to number five, I think we have a, a clear winner for, for this one. So uh, <laughs> you're giving a round of applause there, Tim. I'm, 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 imagine, 
I'm imagining us uh, 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 shipping uh, like a printout of the JPEG of the Chrome Storm Shadow figures <laughs> to Tony Harris and to JD Mettler, and they'll be like, "What?" Yeah, well done, guys. It's uh, I'm sure it's uh, yeah a career highlight for you. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> So next next up, it's going to go on their LinkedIn profiles and everything. Next up, uh, best new toy tie-in. So at Frontline, you know, it was for the most part, it was, it was you know, people coming in, telling their the story that they particularly wanted to to tell and, and, and having, you know, their, their play in the, the toy sandpit. So it wasn't a case of people being forced to, to use to- toys, but we did have a couple of uh, new toys finding uh, finding their way there. So... We've got the the Snowcat version two there, which um, is is bonkers. It's got uh, you know, it's for the most part, it is, it is very similar to the original uh, Snowcat with this kind of uh, <laughs> urban camo pattern on it um, and and uh, blue missiles, but then with an additional missile rack uh, right on the on the top, um, which is uh, quite uh, lovely, bonkers. Um, then, uh, then the other toy tie-in who appeared in the last Golden Joes as well was uh, Crosshair. So this was uh, Brandon Joe as a as a writer, really embracing what's going on in the uh, the toy universe at the time and bringing in one of these new characters, uh, who I think he probably also wrote into the uh, issue twenty five or whenever it was that he um he cropped up in the main uh, main run. So uh, then we've also got. Frostbite. So in the Icebound uh, run, uh, Frostbite came in uh, without uh, beard or, or moustache, uh, but being based on the the look of his new GI Joe versus Cobra uh, look, um, with that uh, you know chunky sort of five points of articulation to him, and uh, in the uh, in the issue being given a bit fleshing out his character a little bit more, sort of coming in with his. Um, his interesting stories and being given the nickname "Sad Storio" by um, Airtight. So, so that that is oh, and then we had a special nomination from uh, from Bart. Bart, do you want to talk to this one? It's not uh, a new toy or anything like that, but they colored it black, and I just thought that was cool. Everything else that that I had seen, the characters, uh, like the snowcat's basically just a snowcat with a new missile on top. Nothing really jumped out at me other than this uh, i think they colored another vehicle black or something or whatever but i just thought that was really cool like a stealthy um companion to the night raven kind of thing with the condor yeah and in the in, in the story itself they kind of missed some of the toyetic components of if, of the condor because the condor was damaged but instead of using the ability to kind of shoot the front off as a separate vehicle he just continued on back to back to base but uh uh, oh well, never mind. So there we go. There's the three shown, but with a with an extra one on the on the end. <laughs> I forgot to add on. Um, what are we going for the vote? I think I think I'm swung over by Bart. It's not necessarily a toy, but it's great to see the Condor sort of crop into the story uh, after not being used an enormous amount in the in the books. So uh, why not? I'll give it. I'll give it my vote. Uh, let's go descending order down. Tim, you next. I'm going to respectfully not vote. Uh, it's not. It's not a protest. Um, none of these. None of these move me as 
uh, examples of uh, new product. Um, so with the Snowcat, it's like the Transformers Generation 2 thing where you take a toy from the 80s and then you put uh, a shooting weapon on top of it, which sort of ruins its lines. Crosshair is a cool, cool figure, but I have no uh, connection to that character. And when I look at it, I just see what should be Muskrat. And same with Frostbite. <laughs> I look at that and it's like, no, that's a new version of Blizzard. Like clearly yeah. someone got the name wrong or there was a, um, uh, a, a legal issue for that year. So uh, so respectfully, uh, I'm not voting this round, but it's not it's not with my mm -hmm. like trademark frontline devils do frown. <laughs> Okay, but uh, it has to be the Condor. I mean, I love the Snowcat. <laughs> I've, I've got a bunch of them. It's my favorite thing to go to for customs. But um, just that that Condor with the stealth paint uh, just kind of set it off for me. So, Richards, <sighs> yeah, I'd vote for him in any category at any time. Cross that. <laughs> cross my not cross yeah. He's obviously not, and the Snowcat's it's rubbish. Best, <laughs> best, fe best female crosshair best, yes. best cover crosshair, anyway, yeah. um, I'm glad he's appeared because like I say I didn't get any nominations <laughs> but um, I know I'm fighting a losing battle but uh, he's a tremendous figure and he, he does he was the one that really got me when I was rebuying toys in the early 2000s so. remind enough, me so. who, the figure is a likeness of someone right someone at Hasbro or a fan or he's named after someone Am I remembering this correctly? I not remember. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I think we stopped on that sure one. I'm this. Oh man, this is where some live comments from viewers would be amazing. <laughs> Tell me how dumb I am for not knowing this already. Uh, I'm pretty sure that that is someone. Uh, and if if you watch this one day, someone, I'm sorry for not knowing. Um, and that that's fun. You know, frostbite is definitely not someone. It's not. Yeah. not a likeness if you know who cross crosshair is based on type it in the comments and uh we can tell tim how foolish we've all been uh, made to, to look uh never mind okay so i think uh i think the condor which is the one not on this picture is the <laughs> one that just edges it and is also not a new toy but uh never mind <laughs> it's we make up the rules as we go along that's that's so best interior artist Dan Jurgens, who uh, did the first art with uh, Larry Hammer. Uh, Eddie Barrows, so uh, really starting off his uh, career on G.I. Joe Frontline before going on to superstardom on uh, some of the DC books in, in more recent years. Tim Seeley, and uh, then Drew Johnson, who uh, drew... <laughs> drew most of the uh, first three issues of the Icebound arc, but uh, also working with some other artists doing guest art on the last uh, issue. And uh, some, was it Tom Feister, I think, doing the, the most of the flashback components of, of that story. So let's, let's maybe work up from the bottom. Let's start with uh, Richard. Well, I would say Tim Seeley, but... <clears throat> what you said in the podcast, he's not necessarily the right person for that one, but particularly the drawing of the villains in that story. I I, I will agree. It was peculiar. So actually, mm. even though I've got one or two issues with the certain visual presentations of the um, first arc, I'd actually go with Dan. Is it Jurgens or Jurgens? Dan Jurgens for this. Huh. Um, I like his art. I like his got a sort of broadness to it. 
you know, I don't get worked up about art sometimes unless it's absolutely appalling. But certainly of those four, easily. In this case, it'll be Tim Seeley any other time of the day, but hmm. not in this context. Okay, but uh, it was really close for me. Uh, I like Tim Seeley's stuff. I've hung out with him before, watched him draw some stuff, and it like blows your mind. Hmm. But to me, Dan Jurgens was just a little bit more refined, a little bit more crisper, and that's what got my vote. I mean, it was it was real close, um, but I had to go with uh, Jurgens. So pound for pound for me, Drew Johnson is the halfway point between the sort of old school 80s Marvel art that a Dan Jorgens represents, you know, the Ron Wagner, the Rod Wiggum. He's sort of halfway between that and the slicker, flashier art of like 2000s comics, like image comics. Um, but Dan Jorgens is someone who, in my mind, always should have been drawing G.I. Joe because he draws like a Ron Wagner, like a, a Rod Wiggum, like a Mark Bright. He's in that, he's in that school. And though this arc is um, not his best work, and you know, I, uh, as you may recall, I didn't love the coloring in the arc, though I should say I didn't love half of the coloring in the arc uh, and the story itself. What a, what, a, what a thrill it is to see this artist draw this book sort of finally. So Daniel. <laughs> I think we might have a clean sweep because in, until until I thought about this question, I didn't think it probably would be Dan Jurgens because, you know, the, the, the that first arc did have his its flaws. But, you know, he's one of these artists who you think, yeah, of course, you know, he would draw G.I. Joe. It's, you know, he's very much in, in that style of, of the classic G.I. Joe artist. And um, there is something very satisfying about seeing him uh, draw, draw G.I. Joe. But... I think uh, I think all of the runner-ups uh, on on this slide uh, share you know have a well-deserved almost second uh, place here that, that I think um, they they equipped themselves well I think generally the the art between these guys was 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 good. Does that mean we're sending a a, a golden storm shadow to Jurgens and a silver storm shadow? They're the other three. <laughs> I think well, so. I think this that must early, be what happens. This is early in Seely's career too i mean he's only gotten yeah. better since um I, I remember telling him one time like you know how amazed i was with his stuff and everything and he's like why do people keep saying that he's like i'm, I'm new <laughs> to this i'm just starting on it's like well dude your stuff's good yeah it's a good point and i look forward to uh, to sort of as we progress through uh, the next few issues of the of the main run starting with 26 to see more of celia and how how he develops um in the you know in this early stage of uh, his career to Dan Jurgens, <laughs> your your statuette is in the post. I think and after to to Drew Johnson for you're doing so well on Icebound, you get an honorary snowstorm. <laughs> uh. <laughs> there we go. I, I bet after I bet after uh, writing and drawing Superman for like seven years, uh, launching a new Spider-Man book in the middle of the Clone. Saga. I bet if someone could tell Dan Jurgens that four men think that he's the best GI Joe spinoff artist of the middle two thousands, I think he'd be really moved by that. <laughs> he, he probably would. He'd probably say, <laughs> "I drew that. When did I do that?" <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, if you're watching, uh, feel free to sound off with your nominations or who you think should have. Uh, won it in the comments as as well so next up 
What do we have? It's best Joe character. Ooh. Um, so we have got Flash. We have got uh, Duke there. Um, you know, we in part I think Duke, adding Duke there because because uh, we did have a special guest who what was due to join us uh, who hasn't who would have appreciated him being there. So let, um, then we've got Chuckles, um, obviously uh, the lead character in in that history repeating arc. And also Beachhead, um, who uh, you know saw saw a rare time, a rare spotlight in his solo. Uh, let's start with uh, Flash and Bart. So you nominated Flash to be up here. Why was that? Uh, it's kind of like the Queen song. He saved every one of us. I mean, he grabs the bazooka. <laughs> he runs out there and blows some crap up. Um, Plus, he's not a guy that you see too often, but he was very heroic. You know, he just um, stood out to me um, through most of the issues. I mean, Beachhead's doing the Beachhead thing from the cartoon, and Duke's just Duke. Chuckles, I've never been a huge fan of his. I think he's kind of overrated. That's just me. So Flash being the the oddball that, you know, um, did something different other than just poking his laser rifle at something, I thought was pretty cool. (laughs) Cool. These slides have just been updated to to disavow Duke. Um, <laughs> Who's going to vote for him? <laughs> You're not voting for Crosshair. Okay, you can you can have him back. You can have him back. I wonder if uh, if Mark um, by showing two of these characters from their covers and not interior panels, if inadvertently, without meaning to, you're putting the thumb on the scale because. Like what's what's more impressive than this drawing of Duke and this drawing of Chuckles that have already these specific drawings have already been nominated for a different award, um, uh, uh, but I also understand putting together putting together a slideshow is a lot of work. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to vote for Chuckles, uh, even though that arc has a, a strange halfway point. We got a cool explanation from the writer, and. Um, I think Chuckles is an endlessly interesting and usable character in G.I. Joe. And since he doesn't do much in the animated movie and all of the animation and what he does sort of doesn't make sense um, uh, with, with the missile, throwing the missile, uh, which, which hasn't been armed. Um, I, also, I also like that this story, and this, this may sound like an unfair comparison, but I, I see it as a cool sort of progression of, of G.I. Joe storytelling. Uh, this story sort of looks ahead to the last laugh at Devil's Do. Um, but uh, my, my vote is for Chuckles. Yeah, I think you said it all there, there t- uh, Tim. I absolutely agree. Uh, for me, it's it's Chuckles, a character that, that didn't really get a huge amount of um, uh, time in the in the original run, um, you know, established him as a, as a you know a real interesting character in the pages of the, the comics and, and really... Um, act, acted as a precursor to, to then, yeah, the last laugh, uh, Cobra story that, that that IDW followed up with a, a number of years later. So um, for me, yeah, chuckles. So Richard, I think you might have just tipped your, your hat earlier as to where you uh, might be voting. Yeah, but... I was lying. <laughs> um, no, it, it would be chuckles actually. That's a story that I wasn't that keen on initially. Um, I actually kind of like it a bit more after listening to the show about it. And Chuckles had the worst introduction ever, primarily because of the appalling artwork 
<laughs> he made his first appearance in where his arm muscles are bigger than his head i think it was and I just, oh dear 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 and um this story yeah it's a obviously i'm talking about the story as much as anything it's a bit of a weird wide-ranging chuck everything at the screen story but it actually works as his character to what am I trying to say? I'm not even sure what I'm trying to say. It's Chuckles, basically. Yeah, <laughs> I, do like him, I do like him in that story in particular, but um, that story is so shaped around a character who I wouldn't otherwise care for. Um, yes, I'm afraid it is Chuckles as well. To uh, to Richard's earlier point about issue 18 and Roadblock and liking the the mad GI Joe stuff, just the ch- the character of Chuckles, just that action figure. Like Hasbro was not punking us in 1987, but Hasbro was definitely having some fun with that character. You know, it's like he's wearing he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt that will never not be funny and strange, but also quite fitting, right? It's like he's undercover. Like, how do you play with action figures where like their clothes don't come off like the 60s Joe? Right, it's like because an undercover figure would look like any other figure. He'd look like Snake Eyes. He'd look like Duke, just in terms of you know from the neck down. So like Hawaiian shirt, yes. Don Johnson did it. It's the Bond equivalent of the, it's the equivalent of Bond's tuxedo. You recognize him instantly. So he's going to be a terrible undercover agent, but um, <laughs> but, but but that's the conceit, you know. Oh, it's like yes. the, the same way that like well, these all these guys with no jackets and shirts are going to be in the Arctic for this mission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's what they wear. Yeah, that's where we're going. So best baddie, and I've intentionally gone for the word baddie because it's a cool word, but also um, as a run, uh, I, I originally titled best cobra, but sort of flicking through the issues again, I was thinking actually the strongest um, adversary adversaries in these these issues are not necessarily the cobras; it's uh, the the other characters. Um, so we've gone for everyone's favorite, Mad Anthony. Uh, it's uh, Zanya, it's uh, Wingfield's Saturday Night, and uh, Night Creeper there uh, from, from the issue that we most recently um, uh, published just uh, last week. So um, last week, as I speak live, not last week as this goes out. <laughs> if you're listening late, but you get the point. Um, Time travel. So, yeah. So um, where should we go first? Tim, why don't you start us? Wingfield in this arc with Chuckles is is probably the strongest writing of these four and I don't like Zanya. I don't like sort of what she represents, the aging of the characters. You know, if you're going to, it's like, no, just make Zarena really interesting. Uh, and I, but these two issues with her cover a lot of interesting ground. And even though I don't like the character and I don't want her part of the G.I. Joe mythos and I don't <laughs> want her to have an action figure, I'm going to pick Zanya because these two issues did what, what, what the main series should have been doing. You know, if, if everyone likes her this much and she's this interesting and this important, give her some backstory and have her interact with the with the Dreadnoughts. So Zanya. Very good. I'll pop in next. I think I'm going uh, Wigfield. So new character, uh, substantial 
arc playing into an interesting story and an in, and in terms of i guess uh, i'm trying to think of the right word but in terms of sort of the generational aspect of of gi joe moving it on that that we've obviously got the the father figure in in very early issues issue of of gi joe and then then the son in in this one um i think that's a more interesting bit uh, was carried out in a more interesting way than maybe the zartan zanya kind of relationship so yeah, that's that's going to go, Wingfield. But uh, I picked Wingfield also. He's new. I think he had the most potential of growth. Uh, he was in what four issues? I could have seen uh, his character develop over a whole run of uh, you know through throughout a year. Um, him just be a thorn in in their side, kind of like mm-hmm. a, like a new Cobra Commander kind of thing. We don't know him. We're learning about him. But we do know him because we know what happened with his father and his mother. So they don't have to do a whole lot of backstory on him per se, because we already know where he's come from. And they could have just moved right straight into the action from there and um, made made him really badass. Um, so I picked him. Cool. Richard? Yes, I notice how nobody wants the two at each end. Um, <laughs> Wingfield, I've got a problem with. I always think if you if you want to tell a story that links back to something, I'm always a bit cherry on bringing children of characters in, which is ironic about what I'm about to say. If you're going to bring Wingfield <laughs> back, just bring Wingfield back. He was only shot in the back of the head. He might have survived. Uh, I'm not sure. He's not a bad character, but actually I'd go for Zanya, considering she's a daughter of another character because actually that's what i like i'm afraid i'm i'm a complete opposite to 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 to, to mr finn um in that i like the aging and i like what she represents and i like that story and i think it's debatable whether she is a baddie in that story she's the hero of her own story um and i just like the character and i think that story obviously way off piece for standard gi joe and i think she comes out of it very well so i'm going to throw it to a draw with zanya i'm afraid yeah, I think oh. there is a, a hint in the story that that in in the flashbacks that she burnt down her her mother and fa- yeah. well her mother and stepfather's um, flat or house apartment for that, and really. might have killed them a little bit. But apart from that, I think generally she she came off in a fairly heroic way. I guess anti heroic, perhaps anti heroic. Yeah, something that's interesting about Wingfield is that he represents sort of a new and different level of domestic terrorist which is part of the mm. sort of ongoing gi joe story you know there's cobra commander in the flashbacks when he's when he's building himself up there's cobra commander now where he's got this worldwide army there's the original wingfield who's sort of what we consider now like a very much a domestic terrorist and then you have his son who's sort of later and and ramping that up in a, in a little bit and and bart makes a good point about how had he stuck around for a year he could have been another kind of ongoing antagonist the way that I was thinking like Dr. Venom has been in the comics or, you know, like we sort of maybe imagine that the overlord would have been, had he been brought in sort of properly back in the eighties. But uh, yes, interesting how none of us voted for uh, the the two folks on the outside. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we've got a draw there. So um, Zanya and uh, Wigfield's, 
in close contention. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, we'll I leave it at means, a draw, I think. I think that means fireworks and snow at the same time. <laughs> Somebody's okay. got to cut the O-ring on that figure and, you know, everybody gets a half. <laughs> Bi- biblical, yeah. So, best story. Oh, interesting. So, uh, we have gone for nominations. The mission that never was, so the opening arc Icebound, uh, with the image there being the the trade paperback cover, uh, Family History, the two-part Zanya story, and the four-part History Repeating featuring Chuckles and uh, the story that Brandon Jerwa made his his introduction into the comic industry on. So uh, who who wants to start? (laughs) Richard. (laughs) Just not the mission that never was. I hate that. Um, I'm sorry, but I really hate it. Um, Icebound. Oh, sorry. Uh, give me a moment. Um, I have a bit. Just give me a moment, sweet job. Sorry, okay. I'll, I'll take, Does somebody I'll, else want to step in, please. Uh, I'll pop you out a second. Okay, so, um, yeah, for me, it's probably a slight toss up between Icebound and History Repeating. I think Icebound did have uh, quite a lot of tropes in in there and uh, sort of alluding to to you know the likes of the thing and and, and so on uh, but it was its own thing as as well and uh, i think it was well done quite a different sort of story to to other joe stories but but um, not to its detriment but i think probably nostalgia factor here uh history repeating was definitely the art that i enjoyed most at the time out of these and i think it is still a solid piece of of work and although i didn't uh nominate in the end the the artist for my favorite artist um i think again for for an artist in starting out in their career very uh, very strong um art indeed so um i think i will uh, just it just edges it out uh, history repeating will be my uh, my vote Sorry about that. Tim or, or Richard, do you want to finish your, your well, thoughts? Well, just, just um, Icebound. It would come down to Icebound or History Repeating. And I loved the sort of explanation that these were sort of very contrasting pitches to taking over, one very contained and one a huge, sprawling epic. Icebound is just great fun. It's mad. Again, mad. I like the mad stuff. And I'm content that these polar bear things are definitely the Mega Marine, was it Monster Vipers? <laughs> I think they're meant to be a hat to that, and I love Mega Marines. So this is the closest it's ever got. Um, so, yes, Icebound. Okay. But why don't you go next? Uh, pretty much everything you said. Icebound was, was a lot of fun, but to me it was too much of a ripoff of a movie. Um, so just as, like, an entertaining story, it was cool. But my vote was for history repeating because um, it was more entertaining in – that world uh, icebound to me is kind of like a special missions you know off to the side kind of thing where history repeating um is is establishing this frontline world mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah that's get a, that more world building yeah Bart, that's a good observation that icebound is basically a four issue special missions issue mm-hmm. um in in my memory when i am months or years away from reading these comics i think back to the mission that ever was and i think oh right there's sort of that lost larry hama story with that cool like old school art like don't i love that story and then i remember a i don't and b larry Hama. 
Larry Hama doesn't love that story, and he has said yeah. so, uh, and he, he has said so nicely. Um, so I'm just going to repeat everyone. I'm just going to history repeating everyone. Um, <laughs> Ice, I think Icebound is a better story, but history repeating is a better G.I. Joe story. Excellent stuff. So history repeating, uh, I think, is uh, it's definitely the, the one there that takes it. Well done to uh, and the team. I, I, I think you need to repeat that uh, fireworks <laughs> graphic. I, I can't. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Well, I like Icebound because I've never seen the thing. This is oh, what I assume it's a rip of. That's a that's a fair point. Okay. Checking. Should be. Most amusing scene uh next. So first one here was uh Chuckles wise cracking. So um I don't know if you can quite mark it out on the uh, on the story on the screen there, but um, this is oh actually this isn't <laughs> this isn't Chuckles line at all he's in the back of the van it's uh it's um uh, Xandar talking he says be careful patting yourself on the back wing Wingfield one of these days you might just break your arm um, so um, yeah it's not Chuckles wisecrack but um, it was there it's there to illustrate the kind of wisecracking that Chuckles was making if I can stretch um, my nomination uh, a little bit uh, there. The next one up is uh, is Mrs. Dimples and her projectile vomit. Some people may agree, some people may disagree. Then we have Beachhead with his potato. But can are you able to to read that in in your best grin instructor voice? Uh, let's see. I bet you don't think I got much more than the army in my head, huh? I bet you think old Beachhead ain't too clever. Well, anyone else would have cleaned this place up with a toothbrush or something. This, on the other hand, is a potato. Thank you, Bart. <laughs> uh, so Beachhead and his potato. Uh, and next up, we have oh a nomination from you, Bart. Flash with the bazooka. Um, so, yeah, you to explain why this should be on the shortlist for most amusing. Um, because you, you typically think of him as the laser guy. You know, he's just gonna burn a hole in something, or or you know, laser spot something for artillery. But he's just like, you know, I'm not doing nothing. Let me grab this bazooka, and he runs out there and, and blows some stuff up, and he just looks cool doing it. Uh, so to me, it was just just a lot of fun to see a guy that's not a bazooka soldier but knows how to work a bazooka goes and blows some crap up. <laughs> This is this is a nice point because to a great degree, many of the Joes can do what many of the other Joes can do. Like if you're on an Arctic mission, either it should be all the Arctic it should be only Arctic guys or led by an Arctic guy. And if if you need someone to like shoot a precise hole far away or spot for someone else, but like all of them know how to use machine guns and all of them know how to, you know, throw grenades, even if somewhere we have like a grenadier. And they all know how to fly sky strikers as well. That's the great thing. <laughs> yes, e even though only a handful are actually pilots. Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. Are you explaining? So, wait, are you telling me that GI Joe doesn't work? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tim. Are we? We've, are we? We've are all we, been terribly wrong all this time. Are we? Are we shucking? Are we shucking the metaphor, and it sort of falls apart? <laughs> oh dear. So let's go. Quick fire voting for this, and uh, if you're watching live feel free to uh, 
type away, put in your little comment uh, for who you think should win as well. I think I'm going to go potato. 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 Uh, Flash. Potato, but only because you've left out the best beachhead scene, which is press-ups under fire, but definitely potato. (laughs) (laughs) nominated it. And for for our... For non-British uh, fans, uh, push-ups under oh, fire. Oh, yes, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> what? I just don't get it. Yeah. Drop it, give me Okay. So best artist references next up. So this is, uh, this is one of Tim's observations. Uh, Jetfire Skystriker. And uh, I think we did have uh, a slightly fuzzy... Um, confirmation from from this from Dan Jolly, who thought that the artist did keep uh, Jetfire toy on his desk at the time. So um, there we go. That's from uh, the first issue of the Icebound arc. Um, next up, it is the World Peacekeeper Little Bird toy, which uh, has those distinctive. Uh, red missiles on the uh, on the rack, which carried through from toy to art. Very popular uh, GI Joe adjacent toy there, kind of thing that someone like Bart would get and customize and I've already that done. kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's from my October guard. Oh, excellent, lovely. Uh, and what? next do we have oh so we just got a short list of two on on this one um i'm gonna go little bird all the way you know very it, just excellent use of of reference to create uh, an incredible uh image there without it looking like a, a duff photoshop job which sometimes these things can can do I'm I'm going to agree. I don't know if the uh, uh, Jetfire toy. I, I don't think it's a traced photo, but um, it is it is so uh, careful and clean as to look sort of too careful and clean. Whereas um, what Harris is doing with the helicopter is he's he's slightly warping it in perspective, where it's a little bit wider in the front and a little bit narrower in, in the back, and he's drawing it from a different a difficult angle so that that drawing shows a lot of artist chops and whether he's taking a photo and drawing it or holding it in front of his hand and drawing it, he's, he's doing a lot of work. But Richards. Yeah. I mean that helicopter, uh, it looks very good as an SAS action force SAS helicopter. I might say, because there's one in storage with, with the stickers on it. It just looks great on that cover. So, yeah. Not even a competition on this occasion. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I picked Jetfire only because that's my favorite Transformer, and I'm a big Tech <laughs> fan. So I, I got to pick Jetfire. Does that mean that you have a, a Robotech a Robotech toy of this also? I have all the Transformer Jetfires. I don't have any Robotechs. So I, I watched the show as a kid, but I didn't even know there was uh, action figures. And to get one of those now is kind of pricey. Hmm. Uh, so it's on my want list. Hey. What do we have next? We have got best nitpick, and uh, we've also got a uh, late addition to to this, which we didn't spot for the show. So this is my late addition. So frontline cover to issue uh, 17. I think the artist is Jason Alexander. Guys, can you tell what my nitpick is? Uh, There's no second strap for for the holster? 
Yeah, I think it, I think it kind of is there, sort of down on the shoulder and across. Yeah, I think that's that's not it. Uh, and it's not that he's a ghost that sort of dissipates into in, into nothingness at the end. That that's fine. That's just an artistic are the, choice. Are the stars too big? Uh, they are a little could, big, could you, aren't they? Could, I think you, would, could you not fit fifty stars on that blue field at that size I, for the stars? I think this, you would. I think you would struggle. This is. I, I, I want to. I want to say to Mr. Alexander, this is a really good painting. So. I think it will become apparent when I show the original way that he actually painted it. That's what I thought. It was flip flops. Like this. Oh. Yeah, he's not the image has flipped flopped, <laughs> as Bart has, has described it. So this is the way it was painted, and uh, huh. they flipped it around for uh, the, the printed uh, cover, which creates two little niggles for me the the first of which is that the 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 flags it's back to front as well so so you know that's not how the american flag looks with the stars and stripes in the in the corner and then his holster is now on the wrong side for a figure (laughs) his his holster would be on yeah in lefty was unless he was a a lefty wouldn't he so that's that's a good second uh, nitpick that I hadn't thought of, uh, Tim. My my other one was that it then means that the thing that it's referencing is uh, less strong as uh. well because the "I want you" for the U.S. Army uh, poster is is post is pointing uh. Uh, with with that same finger, and it's uh, again that is also flipped around. So in in drawing and, and painting, you can flop a you can flop a piece of art with photographs. It's not a good idea because we, as people, our faces are not perfectly symmetrical. Like your, your one eye might be a little larger, a little little higher. And um, if you know someone really well and you see a photograph of them and it's been flopped, you may subtly think like, wait, what's wrong with that person that I know? Cause you're seeing them sort of actually not how they are in real life. So um, except for these, uh, these uh, nitpicks, I, I am I am okay with flopping artwork. Also, I feel like sometimes they might have to do with like where they want to place the uh, the barcode. Mm. Yeah, yep. that's so, that's a that's a good one. A late entry there. So uh, first one up uh, is is a is a writing nomination from uh, Bart. Roadblock is too big. So this is interesting as well because on our uh, recording for for this particular issue, uh, a certain Mr. Tim Finn notes how much he enjoys the fact that uh, in this issue, Roadblock is uh, drawn as a as a big guy. So so we've got some. Uh, you know, we've got some tension here between uh, between two of our our, our, our guests <laughs> today. One 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 who thinks he's too big, and one who likes the fact that he's uh, drawn bigger than uh, usual. So, Bart, uh, do you want to start with your case? Well, it's not his width; it's his height. Um, me myself, I'm six foot six, so I've got a perspective on this. But with her being uh, Asian, you could say she's maybe five foot. Um, even if he was my height, he's like towering over her. And I looked at a couple different um, pictures of this with him next to other people. And like the guy in the background, if that guy's six foot, Roadblock is still like a foot and a half taller than that guy in perspective. Um, so he's just way too tall. I mean, I get the muscles, you know, he could he could be uh, the rock or, or whatever, but it's it's his height. He was just way too tall. Um, but this whole issue is just 
one big silly goof. So I mean, it's okay, but yeah, he's just too tall for me. I'll half agree and half disagree with Bart. What uh, Dan Norton is doing here in drawing this version of Roadblock is he's drawing the Michael Golden version of Roadblock from your book to uh, like the back cover and I guess also the front cover. Um, and that's a version of Roadblock that I want to see. But when I read the issue, I did think, huh, he's, he's kind of too tall. I think he's got the width right, but even at a, a sort of exaggerated cartooning, he's a little too tall. Um, I don't mind because I, I don't mind this kind of exaggeration in artwork, but uh, I think Bart is technically correct. Uh-oh. Do I get an award? Oh, sorry. Uh, Mike Norton. Thank you. Not not Dave, <laughs> Dave Norton, Dan Norton. Uh, Mike Norton drew this issue. Mike Norton is is uh, is uh, Mike Norton is is drawing the Michael Golden version of Roadblock here. But I, I am interested in what the other uh, uh, options are to vote. Okay. Next up, we have um, a shiny, shiny pot of coffee. <laughs> so, as of, as often as we've seen uh, in the Devil's Due era, particularly these early issues, the the coloring technique is. Uh, often highlighting maybe the wrong things or thing uh, coloring in a very aggressive way such that uh you know everything is has has very intense light sources on on them so here we go singled out the most important thing on the page are these canisters of coffee oh scarlet's got some bling on there too her dog yeah. tags and belt buckle she's uh, and uh, it, snake eyes has got a visor um Lifeline has got <laughs> has got uh, his goggles. You know, it, there's all sorts of bling going on, but but there, particularly the coffee. There, in in this version of this panel, um, Mark, I'm not sure quite how you sourced this panel. If this is like a screen cap from a digital digital version, or if you scanned your comic and then so and so. But you, everyone will probably see like some crazy neon green next to Scarlet's leg and. Uh, hawk coming in his face is purple and the window the screens behind them are pink and purple and this is not how the how the actual coloring appears in the printed version or in a digital version so this is yeah the, uh, the saturation's a bit off on it and stuff yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so if if the shiny pot of coffee doesn't seem like a big deal compared to everything else that's crazy about this panel trust me the shiny pot of coffee is a pretty big deal <laughs> but I, I don't know if i'm voting for this yet so next up, we have the necklace changing color from uh, the the Night Creeper issue. So we have an establishing shot of a of a guy with a, a sword or a knife at his throat with a a sort of a, a sort of silverish grayish uh, necklace. And then on the next page, that is being cut uh, out of context, and it's a different color. And we were all a bit like, huh, what? What is the what's that panel trying to suggest? And and why is it suddenly showing us a necklace that we've never seen before? before refer back to our that. issue issue uh, 17 uh podcast for in-depth discussion bart how how would you no prize that um it's glint off the knife is washing out the gold color on the necklace hmm. Hmm. um i'm gonna vote this is these, these are the options right there are no more uh so oh. last final one. Oh, here we go it is tim finn special guns are not flashlights <laughs> do you want to do you want to explain this one tim uh i don't remember saying it but that certainly sounds like something i would say uh, um uh, col color artists starting around 1992 with the advent of photoshop and comic books 
Um, some color artists went nuts with uh, highlights and lens flares. And uh, I'm all for a yellow, like, illumination of muzzle flash from guns. I love that in all the Mike Zek Marvel covers. And actually, that's when I draw guns shooting. I'm trying to draw the Mike Zek yellow and red, you know, from, like, the cover of 47. Um, but uh, uh, these, are, these are not flashlight laser beam uh, guns. These are these... in Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Okay, so is that one the last one? I think it might be. Oh, no, here we go. There's one more. It's Night Creeper Teleportation. <laughs> so from the Night Creeper issue, he's uh, disappearing off in a cloud of pink smoke. Um, and and I, I, I said at the time that I think the artist might have confused Night Creeper with Nightcrawler. <laughs> Tim, Tim thought that he might be exploding and that his helmet is all left after a grisly... Um, <laughs> grizzly kind of explosion it's, it's actually um, that he's he's thrown down a smoke bomb right and he disappears and we don't yeah, see it yeah 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 so it's it should be more yeah akin to the kind of effect that you'd see from a, a smoke a smoke bomb um it just is a little bit confusing uh i'm having a hard time between voting for the necklace and this night creeper teleportation because both of them are both of them slightly obscure the story whereas the other ones are just like coloring choices or errors but i think i think since the night creeper one is at the climax of the story and sort of the like the obfuscation of the narrative is happening in a bigger way i'll vote for that one i vote night creeper teleportation okay richard well i mean obviously i don't make the rules but i honestly believe that a nitpick can only be there if it's been nominated by mr finn <laughs> um, so I'm afraid I'm ban the other two that have been put in. Um, since I don't care about nitpicks and they don't affect my enjoyment of the story, it's basically how much it made me laugh during the actual podcast. So that's got to be shiny coffee. <laughs> yeah, shiny okay. coffee. <laughs> okay, uh, Bart, is there one that, that appeals to you? Uh, it's probably going to be the guns are not flashlights. Uh, I'm a big guy. I've, I've got a large collection. I've, I've shot a bunch of guns and they are definitely not flashlights. <laughs> they may be bright and you know, it's the bang's gonna, gonna blind you, but, um, they're not flashlights. Yeah. It's not, it's not a sensible way of trying to look, look, look around a dark room. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think we're going to go with an even split here because I think I'm going necklace changing color because this this st stood out for me as just something that taking me out of the story and not understanding what was going on and why this necklace was suddenly important. I understood the the, the concept that was trying to uh, trying to be conveyed, but why why just this one panel of a necklace that we've never seen before? So so that was what uh, is getting my vote. Uh, for for this category, so I think we've got, I guess, an even split, and and they're they're all as all as bad, terrible as each other, or as great as each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there there will be uh, awards going out in the post to uh, a pot of coffee, a necklace, <laughs> a flashlight gun, and uh, the the remains of a pink puff of smoke. Since we only have mailing addresses for Dan Jorgens and <laughs> Tony Harris, they're just going to get all these extra awards and really not understand. <laughs> Dan Jurgens will say, when did I draw this this shiny coffee pot? <laughs> okay. So uh oh, 
That's us. That's us. The end. I've got to the end of the awards. Wow. That we've uh, flown through them and it feels like no uh, time at all has passed. So uh, I think that means that I get to play the jingle one more time. Oscars, Emmys, it's not about them shows. This awards segment has Golden Joes. Can I ask a question? Am I misremembering in our previous awards episode? Were we also calling these Golden Stormies? Did we decide that 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 didn't work was that a reference that was unfortunate or did just am i just misremembering i don't remember yeah i th- i thought it sounded a little bit too much like a, a presidential compromat tape um so so okay. on that basis uh, i've kept it to, to golden shows because because if you think about it you know the 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 academy awards have a nickname the the oscars right and emmys mm. grammys uh, these are all nicknames, right? The, um, and so maybe the formal name is, you know, the the Talking Joe, Golden Joe statuettes, and then the the may, oh, there we go. Uh, maybe it's just a stormy, right? So Dan Jorgens uh, at some drawing table in like <laughs> Idaho or Florida, right? I don't know where Dan Jorgens lives, right? Or maybe someone accosts him at a convention later this year, if he's making an appearance, someone runs up to him with, with a sort of oddly oversized, shiny, not movable action figure, in action figure, and says, here's your, a lady in a fancy dress, right? Here's your stormy, sir, right? With a, with a, a low resolution JPEG printout on like very thin paper of, of one of his pages from, from that first article. <laughs> your award, sir. And he can say, he can turn to some camera that's all of a sudden there and he can say, I'd like what? to, the stormies, I'd like to thank, I'd like to thank my editor, my writer, my two inkers. <laughs> and then you charge him 200 bucks for it. That's right. That's right. You have to, you, do you have to pay for it if you get more than one? Is that what it is? If, it, if a team worked on something? Oh, there are four producers on this movie. Gotta yeah, get if I get him to sign something, I got to pay for it. So he might as well pay for his, right? <laughs> give them an, an even trade. Um, so I've, as we're wrapping up, I've turned on our festive uh, lights, um, and <laughs> one is Sit. stuck up uh, Richard's nose. Unfortunately, um, yeah. it's the hazards of the job. Um, I, I was wondering if, as we wrap up our episode, uh, I have talked so much about these issues in our regular episodes, and Mark is often so gracious to let. Jay and I run with it. I was wondering if each of the three of you wanted to say something about uh, what frontline means to you, or you know, Richard had talked about how it gets better, uh, either at the time or, or looking back on it. So, uh, Bart, does does GI Joe Frontline? Do you have any sort of wrap up thoughts? When it first came on, I was really excited because I thought it was going to be a new direction, like an alternate um, timeline reality kind of thing for it. Um, but then it just really didn't take off and, and they canceled it after 18 issues, which which I didn't understand because like I said before, going forward, it was getting a lot better, except for maybe the last two issues or, or so I, I thought were just kind of stupid. Um, but I think that's the, them just having fun with, with the wrap up. But that whole Chuckles story, you know, with the, with the, the family history stuff, um, from there moving forward, it, it could have got really good. Um, 
it's just just a bummer they didn't uh, get the sales or have the confidence to, to move forward. Mm. The, the main story at that point was just kind of eh. And um, this this was a good way to, to change it up. Kind of like what they're doing now. The main story, I, I think, is poop. And the, the hammock continuation, I think, is decent. Uh, this could have been the same thing. I mean, sure. should, I mean, having come to it a bit later, this is the one I missed first time round. I don't have deep feelings about it. I will always defend the devil's due stuff. I think I always, in my head, compare it to special missions, which is not fair because special missions, are, I will still say, really, it's probably the best G.I. Joe comic. Um, <laughs> but it's that feeling they were trying to tell different sorts of stories, and I like that because, which is why, for example, issue 17 isn't a different story, whereas I love issue 18. Looking at it now, though, the, the other than 17, and I, I do think the Harmer story is diabolical. And I think you were very forgiving of him because I think it shows all the problems that have happened since he's gone back. Um, goes nowhere, does nothing. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Um, other than that, I'm sorry. I, I could go on about that forever, but I'd probably be banned. Um, um, other than that, I, I like the stories. I mean, you know, it, 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 when you're not reading it in context at the time, I, don't, I think you lose something. For how it felt then but i like all of the other stories and indeed actually having listened to the podcast i've come to like one or two of them slightly more i've certainly come down a lot better with the um history repeating story than i did the first time i read it simply by context of what's been said um it's a, it's a stab at doing something different but i'm not sure the heart was entirely in it at the time uh, probably just fell victim to the endless exciting rounds of what was going on with devil's due which does seem to have been almost endless adventure behind the scenes from, from what one can gather. I like it. I'll still read it. I'll still read any of them again. That's the thing you talk about, not reading them again. I'd read any of them again, even the ones I don't like. I know that's not normal, but um, <laughs> it's decent. I, yeah, I think for me, it's there's a combination of things happening here. The kind of the in, initial opening gambit of Larry Hammer returning and us trying to find out more about that five-year period of you know, the, the feet of Cobra and its reemergence as a, as, as a, as a threat as was quite an exciting concept, which wasn't really met by the execution of the of the story. And that sort of took, at the time, to, took a bit of a wind out of that a kind of initial gambit of what the front line might be more about. Um, then it became, I guess, more of a sandpit for, for other writers and artists to come in and, and sort of have a play and, you know, you know their take on 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 the GI Joe world, and and that was always interesting. If if sometimes more successful than than others, I think it reached that that history repeating for me high point where you've got a four part a long form story where it's it feels like their world be building and and sort of having sort of real energy around the story, which then just isn't followed up by um the the subsequent issues and, and it, it sort of ends on a little bit of a of a damp squib so uh yeah a mixture there for for, for me but um certainly not uh a, a regrettable reread and i yeah i've enjoyed spending the the last few episodes of talking joe sort of really delving in and uh, into the detail of those those issues but uh also looking ahead to what comes next because we can get back into the the main series and uh, i've forgotten so much of 
that era that will be uh, fun to kind of reacquaint myself. My final thoughts for Frontline are in 1989, DC Comics started the first new solo Batman monthly comic since 1940 in the form of Legends of the Dark Knight, which was initially five issue arcs. And uh, they were they were set in the Batman's first year or uh, less tied to continuity. And and it was a chance for different writer and artist teams to come up and tell a, a story. And then after those first 20 issues, the arcs are shorter. Um, and so Frontline and, and other comics that have done this, you know, with Spider-Man, there's like Web Spinners or Tang Tangled Web. I guess they've done it twice. G.I. Joe is so ripe for this. So I love the idea, the actual execution, I would call an interesting experiment. But um, I don't think it, it deserves to be cast off to the sort of the side of G.I. Joe history. And in this era right now of very large collections, you know, like at the time when it was running, trade paperbacks were, you know, five, six, seven issues worth. And they were very rarely more than that. Something like Watchmen, which is like 12 issues. I think it'd be cool now to have a big paperback of all the issues. And I might go, I know you're not supposed to do this, but I actually might take history repeating and put it out of sequence and has it have it as the final four issues of the arc of, of the collection so that it does end on a more sort of regular GI Joe note. Uh, and I would, I would absolutely get some new cover art for it that does what I think graphic novel collection cover art should do, which is a new piece of art that represents the issues contained within rather than like default the issue number one cover uh, or occasionally some other cover that, you know, like, you know, like the, the image mark that you showed at the beginning of this episode, which is, which is the collection for volume three, the cover for the volume three collection where Zonia oh, Icebound. Oh, oh Zanya right, right, right. sorry, on the video. Yeah, on the video. Yeah, Zanya's sitting at a computer and on the screen are four faces, like something like that, or just all the character, all the main characters from this standing around cool with their weapons and, you know, two or three of the bad guys sort of in the background. Now, yeah. I can't believe it's taken us this long to, to, to make the um, connection to Legends of the Dark Knight as well. It's a very good analogy. Sorry, Bob. If you put them out of order and end it on that run does that leave the book at a cliffhanger in a way remind us how does history repeating end uh it's kind of it's got him uh the wingfield sort of out the plane with his his mother and they yeah. kind of vanished vanished off and then there's chuckles who's sort of mission accomplished i need to go seek out my um girlfriend who's only just been introduced to this issue yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of how to put it in the words or but yeah that's basically it he hmm. they're gonna kill wingfield but the mom like tackles them and they fall out of a plane and they're both hugging a parachute kind of thing um so it it does kind of end but in a way it doesn't um because you don't know what's gonna happen like when his dad died you thought that was the end of that whole militia but now he comes back which means they've been there the whole time building their forces um, so that could leave the whole trade in kind of a cliffhangery kind of thing. Uh, it it is an academic discussion because no one's going to reorder these issues in, in a in a collection. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I like collections to do, if if the final story page isn't sort of the right 
finale note to end on is to have a couple pages of like the variant covers or some behind the scenes sketches or something. Uh, I, I don't like it when I'm reading a book, if I get to the final a collection, I get to the final page and I turn it and then there's just an ad for some other collections from that publisher. Um, or like, you know, that's, that's the last page. And then I'm staring at a black blank inside back cover. I do think, you know, when you leave a movie theater, when you finish a novel, when you finish a comic book, there's something to taking us out of the experience. And, and I, I feel strongly about that for graphic novel collections of serialized comics. They could do an editorial wrap up where they could say, hey, this is direction we were going to go in. But because of X, Y, Z, we couldn't, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you know what? I, I bet I bet Mark, I bet Funky Bunch Mark would graciously allow any publisher to excerpt as a printed interview excerpt, excerpt, uh, some of the writers who have been on this show uh, talking about the experience of working on this book. Uh, that, or even if, if that, indeed our own words of wisdom. That'd be fun. <laughs> I would, I would, I'd buy several copies if someone did all the issues in, in, in a book. And then there's two columns of text uh, transcribing Mark and Jay and I going on and on about these comics. I hope, I hope, I hope the editor, I hope the copy editor would, would pick out the parts where I'm being thoughtful rather than um, nitpicky. Well, the next G.I. Joe <laughs> Kickstarter, there it is. Oh, yeah. Haslab that. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, let's wrap up with uh, anything that we want to promote. Let's start with uh, Tim, because I know that uh, you have things that you you can talk about. Uh, where can people find you if uh, it's not in the upper right corner of a G.I. Joe podcast live stream video? My comic book store is Hub Comics in Somerville, Massachusetts, and my blog is a realamericanbook.com. And Richard, is there anything that you want to plug or shout out? I would out? say I, I have nothing to plug other than um, listen to Talking Jeff. It's quite good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and uh, But uh, where can people find you? Is there anything you want to uh, shout out? I don't really don't have anything other than Facebook. I got um, a Facebook customs page where I put some of my customs on uh, Mach 5 customs. If, if anybody wants to look that up and if I ever get off my lazy butt, I'm going to have a uh, YouTube, uh, a couple YouTube channels um, just showcasing some of my process and doing my customs and um, the other channel. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure yet, but uh, just getting back into the country a month, and a half ago i'm still trying to get caught up on things if you look over there i got a pile of comics uh that i gotta read from my from my time away um that i just got all my valiverse stuff i gotta play with so pretty busy <laughs> gotta do some proper playing excellent um, research so, research yeah 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 <laughs> So if people want to find us and more about the show, you can head on over to talkingjoe.co.uk. That is the website that has all of the stuff all about us and links to the podcasts, uh, the other YouTube videos, and all of our social media stuff. So uh, last time uh, we concluded the Talking Joes, I was given uh, a ribbing by uh, Steve Jubber for... Uh, having uh, recycling his old catchphrase for our outro, which was when all is done, you can get just down the road 
because we've been talking Joe and we're all out of Joes, um, which doesn't you know make a huge amount of sense, but but it is what we used to to say. And subsequent to that, uh, it did put us on the uh, the thinking chair, which is a thing now, mm. and um, came up with a new ending, which to- which Tim enjoys shouting out. But you are welcome to join in. The outro is, uh, nope. and I think that's us done. But nobody beats Talking Joe, a real American podcast with two guys from England this time. And uh, two, why not? Laters. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye.